0: Acts and chapter 26 this evening, <clears throat> Acts chapter 26, and we'll begin reading from verse 1 this evening. <clears throat> it says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy. King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. (coughs) And let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to be here in this place and to come and spend some time around your word. Lord, we pray this evening as we continue our study in the book of Acts and continue our study in the life of the Apostle Paul. Pray you would <clears throat> just teach us, instruct us through your word this evening. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that you would empower me through the Spirit, that it would be your words, it be your thoughts this evening, and that, Lord, we would be refreshed and challenged by your word and we leave uh, singing your praises and we pray these things now in jesus name amen <clears throat> now as we mentioned this morning uh, paul has been brought forth now to stand before king agrippa uh, benice festus and the other dignitaries that are assembled there he's brought forward he's standing before them and he's given this wonderful opportunity yet again to testify of his faith and to testify of all the lord has done in his life to give his his testimony if you like his salvation testimony and in verse one we see paul is invited by agrippa to speak freely and we touched on this this morning he's given this this freedom here to speak verse one it says then agrippa said unto paul thou art permitted to speak for thyself then paul stretched forth the hand and answered. For himself, And so Agrippa says you're free to speak, to speak and to defend yourself, to give your own defense here. As we said, this is not an actual legal trial, it's more a hearing. But he gives Paul freedom here to speak and to speak on his own behalf here. And we're told that Paul begins here by stretching forth the hand and then he begins to answer. Now, the stretching forth of the hand here is not, he's not silencing the crowd here as he's done before, This stretching forth of the hand is really a salutation to the kings. It's a, you know, he's saying hello to the king, he's respecting the king, and then he proceeds to give his testimony. And to a considerable extent, what we find here in this passage in Acts chapter 26 is uh, the same ground that's been covered before. Okay, it's the same ground that was covered by uh, Paul's speech on the top of the steps leading up to the fortress Antonia. Okay, Remember when he was arrested in the temple and he was led up those steps and he turned and he addressed the crowd? Uh, He gave his testimony on those steps and essentially what he said on the steps he now says again. Uh, It covers the same ground. The main difference is the general tone and the atmosphere in which it's delivered. Okay, When he's standing on the steps he's shouting to the crowd below, the crowd that's baying for his blood. They want to kill him. This time he's standing before dignitaries and he's giving his answer to them. And so uh, his manner of speech reflects that, if you like. The way he words it, the way he presents his testimony here is he's presented in a very careful and dignified manner to his audience. And as this is the third time that we've seen Paul's testimony recorded in the book of Acts, we saw it, of course, in Acts chapter 9, and then I believe it's Acts chapter 22 where he's standing on the steps. And now in Acts chapter 26, this is the third time we've seen Paul's uh, testimony, the account of his salvation recorded for us. Um, because of that, we're going to just endeavor tonight to sort of survey it, if you like. Okay? We're going to try and go through it very quickly and not spend too much time, not get bogged down on it. We're going to survey his testimony that he gives before these assembled dignitaries. And so first of all, here this evening, we see his introduction, <clears throat> his introduction. Verse 2, we read, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all things, whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. <clears throat> And so here we see him give his introduction. And he begins his testimony by expressing his happiness. He says there in verse 2, he says, I think myself happy. He's happy, he's glad at the opportunity that has been presented to him on this occasion. He's happy to be there before these assembled uh, dignitaries. You see, Paul counted it a great privilege, didn't he? A great privilege to to have the chance to speak to King Agrippa, to speak to Bernice, to speak to Festus and the others and, and to present his testimony, and give them an understanding of the truth of the gospel. And so he's happy. He's, he's over the moon, if you like, at this opportunity. You see, it gave Paul not only a chance to defend his character, vindicate his character, but more importantly, it gave him a chance to preach the gospel, didn't it? And that's really what he's thrilled about here. He has an opportunity to preach the gospel with the hope that some of those assembled might come to the Lord and be saved. And in verse 3, we see that Paul is especially happy because of King Agrippa's knowledge of Jewish customs. It says in verse 3, "...especially because I know thee to be an expert, sorry, to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently." so he's especially happy because of King Agrippa's presence. He's happy because, as we mentioned this morning, King Agrippa is uh, known to be an expert in the Jewish religion. Okay? He knows all about the Jewish customs, the Jewish practices. And so Paul acknowledges that here, and Paul is happy that he has the chance to present his faith, his testimony to Agrippa, um, and perhaps even get Agrippa to see the truth, see the light, if you like. You know, probably he's relieved that he's finally got someone before him other than just Roman officials and other than just the Sanhedrin. He's got someone else who understands the Jewish religion, but maybe he can sway him, maybe he can get him to understand the truth. And Paul concludes his introduction by asking Agrippa to be patient. He says there at the end of verse 3, he says, Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Paul basically says, he says, I'm going to be long-winded. I'm not going to be short. I've got a lot to say, so hear me patiently. He says, just let me speak. Let me speak. Be patient with me until I'm finished. And then Paul begins to give his testimony. And so it's a very brief introduction. Paul was always like that, wasn't he? Every time we've seen him give his testimony or speech or a message, he's always very brief, his introduction. And he's straight into the substance of his message. And He does the same thing again here. He introduces and he gets straight into his testimony. So secondly, here we see his heritage. His heritage. Verse (coughs) 4, Paul goes on. He says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Paul now begins his testimony proper by, again, looking at his heritage. Okay, You see a pattern here. Every time he's given his testimony, this is what he did. In the steps, he did the same thing. He started with his heritage as a Jew. And in particular, he highlights the fact that he was of the sect of the Pharisees. This is what he was brought up in. The strict sect of the Pharisees. Verse 5. Uh, which knew from the beginning if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. You know, this was a well-known fact among the Jews, that Paul was a staunch uh, adherent to the Pharisee sect. It was well-known among the Jews. And Paul goes as far to say to Agrippa, he says, you can call them to testify to my faith. You can call them to testify to my religious zeal as a Pharisee. You see, Paul was well known for his zeal. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, Paul speaks about the fact that he outshone many of his contemporaries. Just turn over there. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> in Galatians 1, verse 14, we read, "...and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation." being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul speaks about the fact that he outshone many of his contemporaries. He had more zeal than others. He was the, the top of the class, if you like. He had this reputation as he was growing up that there's, there's Paul and he's got this great zeal as a Pharisee. And you know, it was entirely possible that some of the members of the Sanhedrin who are the ones accusing Paul, that some of them were actually his peers. You know, that he had grown up with them, that he knew them personally. And so as he's saying to a king Agrippa, he says, they can testify. So he says in verse 5, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify. He says, they know me, they can testify of my zeal as a Pharisee. But you know, the irony of it all was that Paul now stood accused because of the same hope that the Pharisees held, the resurrection. And that's what he says there in verse Six, He says, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. He says, I stand here accused because of the hope of the promise that God made unto our fathers. And he's talking about the resurrection. He says, That's why I'm standing here accused. And he goes on in verse 7. He says, This is the national hope of Israel. The 12 tribes. Verse 7. Unto which promise our 12 tribes, instantly serving God day and night, Hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Paul says, you know, this is the hope that that, that God has given us, this promise of the resurrection. And it's not just something I hold, it's the nation in general holds. this. This is the majority of the nation, the majority of the 12 tribes hold to this belief of the resurrection. And basically what Paul's saying is, he's saying if I now stand accused for believing this, well, you better bring the rest of the nation in and put them on trial as well. You better bring them in and put them on trial because they believe the same as me in the resurrection. And also, since this is the case, why then, why then should it be so hard for them to accept that one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, has risen again and is the fruits of that resurrection? That's what he states in verse 8. He says, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? You see he's getting he, he says, I'm a, I was raised a Pharisee. I believe in the resurrection, just like that's the hope of the whole nation. And he says, and if, if that makes me guilty, well, then everyone else is. And he says, why then is it so incredible for you to accept that Jesus Christ rose again? Since you all believe in the resurrection, why is it so hard to accept that he rose you see, if, if the resurrection is the national hope of Israel, surely they should accept that the Lord Jesus Christ could rise again. Why should they reject the teaching that Christ is indeed risen from the dead? And as we saw this morning, the reason is they don't want him to be their Messiah, do they? And that's why they reject it. But he's appealing here to King Gripper, remember. That's why he's, he's directing it like this. He's appealing to him and he's trying to get him to understand why is it so incredible to believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so having explained his heritage, being raised a Pharisee, believing in the hope of the resurrection, and pointing out that therefore it's not hard to believe that Jesus is the Messiah who rose again, Paul goes on now to explain that he understands their present mindset all too well, because he'd been just like them. And so he now talks about his persecuting zeal. His persecuting zeal. Look there in verse 9. He says, I verily thought my, with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. He goes on now to tell King Agrippa and the others present, he goes on to tell him that his misguided zeal as a Pharisee had led him to persecute the early church. You see, like many of his accusers, Paul had thought that it was his duty to oppose the name. And the cause of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he says there in verse 9. He says, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name Jesus of Nazareth. He thought that it was his duty, his responsibility to God to persecute, to do things against Jesus. You see, even though he was a Pharisee and he believed in the resurrection, Paul himself had judged it incredible that Jesus was risen from the dead, hadn't he? What he just said in verse 8, Paul himself had been just like them. He had judged it incredible that Jesus was risen. And so he'd, he'd written it off. He had denounced and persecuted the, the believers of Christ as being imposters. And he describes that persecution in verse 10. He, he goes on, he says, Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were, put, they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. He says, this, this misguided zeal led me to persecute the church and put them in prison. He says, not only was he guilty of doing that, but he was guilty of having some put to death. He had a part in that. The phrase at the end of the verse where he says, I gave my voice, it speaks about casting a vote. Paul says, I cast my vote to have them executed. It suggests to us that Paul may have even been a member of the Sanhedrin at this time. And so he had a vote, or at the very least, he had a say in the execution of these believers. But the point is, as we've noted before, Paul worked in close cooperation with the the Sanhedrin, with the synagogues. He had the authority to go from one synagogue to another and to weed out all believers. That's what he says there in verse 11. He says, and I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them i persecuted them even unto strange cities he went from synagogue to synagogue he found the believers and he compelled them it says to blaspheme to reject their faith to reject the lord and if they wouldn't he had them executed You know, such was his rage against believers that it led him, as we've seen before, to pursue the believers even unto the outlying cities. And at this point, Paul now moves on in his testimony to describe the events that take place on the road to Damascus. And so we see fourthly now his heavenly vision. His heavenly vision, look there in verse 12. says, Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority... And commissioned from the chief priests at midday, O King, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. We see now Paul's heavenly vision. And so he's described for King Agrippa his heritage. He's talked about the zeal, the persecuting zeal he had towards the church. And now he's going to describe what changed him. The change that took place, this heavenly vision on the road to Damascus. You see, it was at this point in his life, wasn't it? The point in his life when he was most fervent in his hatred of believers. He's most most fervent in his hatred of everything that's to do with Christ, the Christian movements. It's now that God changes his life. So for the third time in the book of Acts, we read of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. And this is the second time that it's told from Paul's perspective. Remember the first one, Luke's given us the account. The second one was Paul telling us how he saw the events. And the same is true here. This is from Paul's perspective. And here we see Paul testify how on the way to Damascus, he stopped by a blinding light from heaven. And that blinding light, of course, as we've seen before, shone round about Paul and his companions. And Paul hears a voice Speak to him. Verse 14. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Paul hears this voice from heaven. Remember, he's talking to King Agrippa here. He says, I was a Pharisee. I had this persecuting zeal. And as I was going down to Damascus to persecute the church, this light from heaven shone round about me and I heard a voice. And Paul says he asked who it was. And his response that he heard was in verse 15, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It was Jesus. The very one who he had been persecuting, the very one he had been so actively trying to discredit. Jesus was speaking to him, from heaven. And in that moment, Paul realized how wrong he had been, didn't he? It was, it was that that changed his life when he heard the voice of the Lord. It was then that Paul realized that Jesus was alive and that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was the eternal Son of God, the Messiah. And that's Paul's point here before Agrippa and the others. He's making it clear that Christ is alive. What was the the thing that we saw this morning that Festus said about Paul? He said, Paul claims Christ is alive. Paul now says, I'm an eyewitness to the fact he's alive. I saw him on the road to Damascus. He says, I saw and I heard his voice. And it was this experience that changed him from being the great persecutor to being the great champion of the faith. In verse 16 to 18, Paul then relays the calling of God upon his life. Verse 16, it says, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering me from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul now relays God's commission that he gave to him. Notice that Paul here leaves out some details, doesn't he? Paul doesn't speak about the fact that he was blind and that he had to be led by the hand into Damascus. He doesn't talk about Ananias coming to meet him in Damascus before he receives his sight once again, he leaves out those things. Why? Well, the reason is they're not really relevant to his audience, are they? They're not relevant. And so he leaves out those details and instead he simply gets to the point. He gets to the commission that's given to him by God. And he tells Agrippa here and the others who are present that God had commissioned him to witness of the truth to all people. And that God promised to protect him as he did so. Verse 16, it says, But rise and stand upon my feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, under whom now I send thee. He says, God commissioned me. God gave me this calling to go and preach unto all people, Jews and Gentiles, and that God said he would protect me as I went. He says, God sent me to do this. His purpose, the reason he was sent, was to bring this message, wasn't it? To bring the message that would bring them from darkness into light so they might experience the forgiveness of sins. Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He says, this is what I was called to do. To preach the message so that men might have their eyes open. They might come from darkness to light and they might receive the forgiveness of sins. And Paul here is boldly declaring, he says, I'm doing what God told me to do. Remember, Agrippa is religious. He's a religious man. And so he's appealing to him. He's saying, God told me to do this. It's the commission Of the Lord. And Paul then goes on, fifthly, to speak about his obedience to the vision. His obedience to the vision, verse 19 says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Paul says, From the moment I heard the voice of the Lord, I wasn't disobedient. He says, I wasn't going to disobey God. God told me to do this, and so I obeyed. He immediately set out to obey the commission that was given to him by Almighty God. And Paul declares how he immediately proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God in Damascus and then in Jerusalem before he extended his ministry out to the Gentiles. Verse 20, it says, But showed first unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God And do works meet for repentance. He gives us a summary here of his message, doesn't he? Paul says his message was one of repentance. He preached that the people needed to repent of their sin. In other words, have a change of mind about their sin and about who God is. Repent and turn to the Lord in faith and be saved. But notice that his message was also one of a changed life. He says that at the end of verse 20, doesn't he? He says that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. You now, works don't save, but they should be the result of salvation. And Paul knew that. And so, you know, Paul, as he's preaching, he preached repentance, but he preached that once people get saved, they should, it should result in a changed life. Repentance should result in good works. And that was the message that Paul proclaimed as he went round about, as he was preaching And teaching all around uh, the empire, the Roman Empire. And it was because of this obedience to the commission of God, and in particular his preaching to the Gentiles, that Paul was now in prison. And that's what he says in verse 21. He says, For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Paul now boldly declares to Agrippa, he says, The reason I'm here in prison is because of that fact, because I was faithful to God, because I obeyed the commission God had given me. I went and preached repentance, and so now I'm in prison because of it. He'd done what God called him to do, and he suffered as a result. You know, Festus had found it extremely difficult to determine why Paul was arrested in the first place. He couldn't figure it out. He couldn't understand why the Jews were so anxious to have him killed. But here Paul gives Agrippa clearly the reason. The Jews didn't like that he preached Christ. The Jews didn't like that he preached salvation through Christ and that it was available to all. Repentance through Christ, available to all, even the Gentiles. You see, Agrippa, knowing the Jews like he did, he would have understood why they hated Paul for this. He would have understood. He would have understood what Paul's getting at. He would have understood why it was that Paul was now in prison. He's like, okay, I understand. The Jews hate you because of your message concerning Christ. And then Paul, lastly, speaks about his faithfulness. He speaks about his faithfulness. Look there in verse 22. He says, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. In the last couple of verses now, Paul declares his faithfulness to God, but he says it was only possible because he obtained the help of God. He says in verse 22, he says, Having therefore obtained Help of God. I continue unto this day. Paul says, I've been faithful to that commission God gave me, but only because God helped me. Only because God has enabled me. You See, Paul acknowledged that he was preserved by God. You know, the Romans, on numerous occasions, had come to Paul's rescue, hadn't they? In one form or another, they had rescued Paul. But you see, Paul knew that they were simply the tool. It was God who had rescued him. It was God who had protected him. God who had preserved him. It was only because of God's intervention that he had survived all those plots against his life. It was only because of God's intervention that he now stood before King Agrippa to give his testimony. And Paul acknowledges that. He says, I obtained help from God. You see, this, of course, was a fulfillment, wasn't it? Of the promise that God had given to him, that he would protect him. Back in verse 17, we read that, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send. God promised that he would protect him. And Paul says, God has protected me. God has done exactly what he said. He protected me until this day. You know, Paul is acknowledging that even now, as he stands before Agrippa, God is protecting him. God is with him. You see, even though he's standing before a gripper in chains, Paul could see the providential hand of God, couldn't he? You know, God continued to give him opportunities to witness, even when he was in prison. God continued to give him opportunities to witness for Christ to all levels of people. He says there in verse 22, small and great. He says, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great." He says, I continue to get opportunities from God. He says, God's protected me until now. God's helped me until this point, And God still is helping me. God still is giving me opportunities to witness to small and greats. You know, Paul is highlighting that the message is for all, isn't it? It doesn't matter what social standing. It, it applies to all. It's the same message for all. And then Paul explains to Agrippa that this message agrees with everything in the Old Testament says at the end of verse 22 saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses said should come. He says, and I've said nothing against the Old Testament. I've said nothing against what was written there in the prophets and written by Moses. Everything I said agrees with that perfectly. You see, Paul is once again making the points that he serves the same God. He still has the same faith as he always had, he just now realizes it's fulfilled in Christ. Specifically here, Paul mentions those portions of the Old Testament which prophesy of the Messiah and prophesy that the Messiah should suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. Look in verse 23. He says that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. He says, I have preached everything that agrees with the Old Testament, and in particular with the truth that Christ should suffer, and that he should rise again, and that he should bring light unto the people. Now, he points out the fact that the Messiah is clearly prophesied in the Old Testament to come and suffer for his people. You know, perhaps here Paul is thinking of Isaiah chapter 53, a passage we know well. That passage which clearly talks about Christ being the suffering servant, coming and suffering, and even dying for us. Paul's thinking about that, and Paul probably even here quotes some of those verses to Agrippa to show him that, hey, everything I teach lines up with the Old Testament. The Messiah must suffer. The Messiah must die. He points out also that the Old Testament teaches the resurrection of Christ. Verse 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first. That should rise from the dead. He points out the Old Testament agrees with the resurrection of the Messiah. You know, Peter had done a similar thing on the day of Pentecost, didn't he? Right back at the beginning of the book of Acts, Peter had stood up and he quoted Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, to show that that God would not allow the Messiah to remain in the grave, but he would raise him from the dead. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. And just quickly read Peter's words there. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 25, let's start there. We'll start in verse 24, sorry. It says, "...whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice." And my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. That he is both dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore being a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Peter did the same thing, didn't he? He stood up and he boldly declared the Old Testament agrees with the resurrection. The Old Testament teaches the Messiah The Son of God will come, suffer, and die, and he must rise again. And Paul here does the same thing. And again, we can assume here that probably Paul is quoting verses, maybe the same verses, to King Agrippa here to prove his points. And then he declares the fact the Old Testament teaches that Christ would bring the light of salvation to all people, both Jew and Gentile alike. At the end of verse 23 there, <clears throat> we read and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. He says the Old Testament teaches that Christ should die, that Christ will rise and that Christ brings the light of salvation unto all. Yeah, it's a glorious conclusion to his message here, isn't it? He's gone through his whole testimony. He's shown where he started as a Pharisee with a persecuting zeal, how God changed him on the road to Damascus. He obeyed God. And now at the end, he boldly declares Christ is the Messiah. He's talking to King Agrippa. He's a Jewish king. He says he's your Messiah. He's the one who suffered, bled and died, rose again, and he brings the light of salvation under all. And he says King Agrippa agrees with the Old Testament. Everything that we believe about him comes from the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of those prophecies, he is the Messiah. You know, when Paul gets to this wonderful point in his testimony, it's almost a climax. He's rudely interrupted by Festus. Look in verse 24. It says, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Now, Festus really should have kept his mouth shut, shouldn't he? He speaks up here and he he butts in right when Paul's at the The very crux of the matter. He butts in and and Paul is brought to a halt in his message. But in the rest of the chapter now, we we see Festus' response and we see King Agrippa's response to Paul's message of the gospel. And we don't have time to do that tonight. There's no way we could do all that as well this evening. So next Sunday morning, we'll look at Festus' response there in verse 24. And then we'll look at King Agrippa and his response to the gospel message. But, you know, this evening, I think the wonderful truth that comes through in all this, as we talked about this morning, is Paul's readiness to always declare the truth. His readiness to always defend his faith. You know, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, we know well. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We know that verse well. But Paul lived it, didn't he? Paul really was ready to answer. Anytime he got an opportunity, Paul didn't back down. Paul didn't shy away. Paul didn't stutter and wonder what should he say. Paul was ready, wasn't he? Paul was prepared. His heart was right with God and he was ready to boldly speak the gospel. And he always tailored it to his audience. He's always tailoring his message to make sure it hits home with the audience he's speaking to. You know, by God's grace, God every time enabled him. As Paul says, God helped him. God enabled him. God gave him the power to faithfully declare the truth. And beloved, may we likewise be ready always to give an answer. May we be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and with fear. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. But we thank you that the Apostle Paul, when he's given this great opportunity before this, this great audience, Lord, these, these dignitaries, Lord, he took that opportunity with both hands and Lord, with great boldness, he declared, Lord, what you'd done in his life, he declared your power to change the very worst of sinners and use them to your glory. Lord, he declared the wonderful truth that Christ is the Messiah, that Christ is the one who came and died, was buried and rose again for our sins. Lord, I pray that you would help us like Paul to be ready always to give an answer. May, Lord, you give us boldness to declare our testimony unto others, to declare the change that you've made in our lives. May you give us boldness to declare the truth that Christ is the only means of salvation. May you bless as we close. Now we pray in Jesus' name.